Lindsay Berra, and welcome to Food of the Gods, a podcast that explores how elite athletes eat and train to fuel performance. This is part two of our conversation with seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion, Jimmy Johnson. The 46-year-old, who has been known to do marathons and triathlons in his free time, retired from NASCAR in 2020, only to become an IndyCar rookie in 2021. In 2022, he plans to contest the full IndyCar schedule, driving the number 48 Honda for Chip Ganassi Racing. Johnson is still adjusting to open-wheel racing, in which the car weighs less, travels faster, that's upwards of 230 miles per hour, and produces more G-forces than a NASCAR vehicle. Another challenge is the lack of power steering, which has pushed Johnson to revamp his training, focusing on grip, core, and upper body strength, as well as upper body cardio to condition him for the higher heart rate demands of driving an IndyCar. I also read that you mentioned full body exercises, and I don't know if you're still doing this, but I did read that you were doing a lot of those type of exercises, but with more of a a focus on eccentric loading, like holding at the bottom of a squat. Are you still doing this kind of stuff? I am. And that's really been an interesting wrinkle on things. I guess just always grew up thinking the push part of the exercise, not the negative. So I guess the positive side of any motion is where, where the strength came from. And I would always have a different level of soreness or fatigue from working out in the gym versus driving a car with that in mind. And with the new program I'm on, we don't focus necessarily on how much weight we're moving. We're focusing more on how much time we spend in tension and how much time you spend on the negative or even stopping mid midway and holding. And to my surprise, that's exactly the feeling of being inside the car. And as I thought through it, you know, you're holding so long in the car throughout these corners that I've just kind of missed the mark on left to my own accord in training all these years in this eccentric or hold formula in the gym now crosses over directly to the race car. So it's basically more about being able to build muscular endurance under that tension, as opposed to being able to jump out of it. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's interesting. Do you have, obviously we're talking about how your exercise routines have evolved over the years, but do you have favorite exercises, ones that you've always done and will always do? I guess probably the bike, my process of focusing on certain lift components in the gym has been changed over the last 24 months in my experience working with PitFit. And I think I've got it wrong in a lot of ways, especially in the gym. I mean, sure, I put some muscle on and would feel better. But as we just spoke about with these holds and the eccentric work and building that muscle endurance, it's kind of rewrote what I'm doing now. And I certainly have some favorites that I think carry over here in the, you know, over the last 24 months. And it's not that I like them because they're fun, but I just know how dang effective they are. So the skier machine, I mean, you're, there's just no better way to build fitness, especially for an indie car. And then also battle ropes. I think mm-hmm. one of the ladders we have is alternating between skier and battle ropes. And I mean, both are no fun but both are so effective. And I I know that I'm helping myself for my job. I do ask all the athletes that come on the podcast for the exercises that they love to hate, but I'm assuming that those are probably the two of them for you, the battle ropes and the skier, the exercises that you can't stand doing, but you do them because you know, you take your medicine and do it because you know, it's good for you. (laughs) That's exactly it. Absolutely. (laughs) So when you travel, obviously you're spending some time at home, then you go out for race weekends and then you, you come back, you're probably in trailers a lot. Do you have fitness equipment that you won't travel without? 
my motorhome goes to all the races. Uh, I have a bike in there and then I also have a compu trainer and big fan of Zwift and use it regularly. So that's, that's always kind of in the background. I know that I have it. I have a few dumbbells in the motorhome as well. And some yoga mats that, you know, I can kind of build a station inside the bus for race weekends. Other than that, I just communicate with our training group and have an app that I find my workouts in. And I just let them know where I'm going and what I think I'll have at my disposal. And they always find a way to, you know, at least keep me sharp and not let time just slide by. Gotcha. So this may have been more of an issue for you in NASCAR with the longer races, but those of us who spend a ton of time sitting at a desk or in a car, we know we have to focus a lot on mobility to repair the damage done by sitting. How do you address that as a race car driver? I'm not sure I address it as I should. (laughs) Um, My flexibility is awful. Um, from training group to just getting a recovery massage and someone tries to help me with stretches like, Oh my gosh, you're so tight. So I, I, thankfully I haven't had any injuries to this point. I do have a routine of trying to stretch on my way to bed, try to do a little before and after a workout, but mobility is not a strength of mine. And obviously because the position I sit in, in a car, not to mention all the work that I do outside of my day job is in front of a computer and then a chair. Like I, I think I probably have more time than anyone in that bad position, if you will, hurting my mobility than anyone. It just seems to be day or night. I'm kind of in that same seated position. Wow. So what do you do to recover from a race? You said you get a massage? At times I do, but I know the effects of active recovery after finishing some early half marathons and just focusing on massage, I felt like it took me out of the training window for two, three times the distance. Hmm. And I learned early on that if I just got back out on my feet and ran again or cycled or just did something in that active recovery department, got my body temp up, got blood flowing, flushed out the toxins and and the lactic acid buildup that I've recovered so much faster. So I'm a huge advocate for active recovery. Have you gotten into any of these newer technological modalities like the cryo or the infrared sauna or the massage gun? Do you do any of that stuff? I do. I've, I've done cryo once. I thought I would try some cold baths this year, especially on the double headers in 2021. And I was a chicken and couldn't submerge myself. My kids made fun of me. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, I have an infrared sauna here at home and we do a lot of heat training before the season starts. And my sauna, little home sauna. It does have some infrared capability. I can't say I've noticed a ton. I'm directionally, I think it's helping me, but I don't use it regularly enough to really know. But the guns are helpful as well. I, I do use those in conjunction with active recovery, probably more than anything. When you say you do heat training, are you just sitting in the sauna or are you exercising in the high heat? We'll do different mental games through my phone in there. So I've been able to kind of put rubber gaskets around all the little areas, the window that would leak. And my little home sauna can get up to 140, basically just under 140. And I'll sit in there for an hour and just play memory games and hand-eye coordination games on my phone. What do you do with the phone in the 140 degrees? It can go in there. It's okay. It it survives. It does. (laughs) I've had a few times where it's flashed that the phone is too hot and needs to shut down, but honestly, it makes it most times through the, through the exercise. I would be so scared, but okay. Um, So from a nutrition perspective, what does a day of eating look like for you? This is an area I probably need to focus on more than anything because I have a huge sweet tooth and definitely eat too much at times. 
but through all the years of cycling marathons and stuff, I've been able to, to really understand how to fuel myself properly. And then certainly how to, to be hydrated and what my sweat loss is, what's in my sweat and have a, a great formula. Some might remember some issues I had in the past. There's one in Richmond after a NASCAR race where I literally just went into a full body cramp and fell out once I got out of the race car. Oh, geez. Yeah, it was really, really rough. And so I've learned, I think that's been a very helpful tool with endurance sports. It's carried over to motorsport, knowing when, why to eat or drink certain things has has really been a useful tool and has helped me at this stage of my career. So do you follow any particular type of diet? I've tried them all over the years. I am a big proponent of just kind of the well-balanced diet. I think it's the most realistic. I've tried keto and I'm, I'm actually currently doing some intermediate fast, intermediate fasting. I'm doing the MCT oil in the morning, which, you know, really helps curb my appetite and I'm skipping breakfast and, and getting like a 14 to 17 hour fast right now. I just know that it does provide energy for me, but it's so easy to knock myself out of keto that. I'm not going to mess with it once I'm in season and make mm-hmm. sure that I get enough carbs in to get me through the physical demands that we have. So are you doing your workouts fasted right now? It depends. If it's strength, I am. If it's cardio, I'm not. I just don't want to bonk and have that hangover that comes with it for a couple of days. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite pre-workout meal? If I could pick, I'd go with ice cream around the clock. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> a Cliff Bar or banana is always a good choice. Okay. Do you have a favorite post-workout meal? I think I would go in the pasta department. There's just nothing wrong with pasta. And I would say one big takeaway I had from my high school athletic career, no one really fueled properly before or after. And after it was all about getting protein in. And when I got into endurance sports, I quickly realized that that immediate window following any long effort you need to replace the glycogen. You need to get those carbs back in and your body's ready for it. And that's the most important window for your energy for the next workout. And my first year or so, I just had it all wrong when I was trying endurance sports. And a good friend of mine is a guy named Cam Worf. He was a high pro level cyclist that's now moved into the triathlon space. And he's like, buddy, you're getting it wrong. Like you just need to, you need to cram carbs in post long run, post long ride. And you'll just watch yourself be stronger and stronger and have more energy for the next workout. So that was a great piece of advice he gave me and, and one that I just had wrong for a a long, long time. So how does the intermittent fasting affect what you're eating for the the rest of the day? Because obviously if you're fasting 14 to 17, you have to obviously cram in a lot of calories in those last seven, eight hours of eating. I'm trying to backfill with some carbs to make sure that my energy's up and that I don't officially bonk and go through all of that. So it seems like I have this domino effect where if I can just start getting one part right, I make better choices throughout my day and throughout the week and that leads to a month. And after being guilt-free through the holidays, it's time to get serious <laughs> again. So I'm looking for things as close to the root as I can, if it's fruit, if it's vegetables, and trying to be mindful of the carbs and put more protein and good fat in than anything. You mentioned that you're trying to keep weight on during the racing season. How much does your weight actually fluctuate? You know, it, it really depends on just how well behaved I am. I I feel like I'm an overeater all the time. I just 
without the sports car accountability is helping me quite a bit right now. And in NASCAR, I cycled so much I could eat whatever I wanted, but I did find that last year with the shorter races, that it was easier to maintain weight than I thought. So it, I'm still trying to dial that all in at this point, but with the goal of sports car racing and trying to not carry any extra weight around, at least starting January, much more mindful of that. We have the Rolex 24 coming up and uh, I want to make sure I'm as light as possible heading into that one. Does your diet training routine vary greatly in season and off season, or do you try to maintain some consistency with it? Yeah, I won't fast as much. Certainly keep the carbs in, especially if it's back-to-back race weekends. I think you get in trouble if you're trying to get too cute with things and not keeping yourself. You know, I'd rather miss it with too many calories than be under and be behind. Gotcha. Do you have any supplements that you can't live without? I've tried. Gosh, I try it all. <laughs> I seem to move around with different things, and but nothing consistently other than, than trying to be mindful of vitamins, minerals, and, and certainly my electrolytes. I'd say electrolytes are the thing that I, I focus the most on. I cramp easily and have had heat issues throughout my career. So I'm probably hypersensitive to hydration more than anything. So you've mentioned hydration a few times. How do you manage that? Do you have goals for like how much water you have to drink every day? Do you put an electric light supplement in whatever you drink? How do you manage that to make sure you're not going to be cramping when you get out of the car? Yeah. In season, really focused on every third, if I'm exercising or not, every third glass of water, if you will, it has, has something in it. I'm of course trying to make sure those are sugar-free options. And if it's before or after training, I'm more relaxed with it, having sugar in it and and know that that's going to, you know, helping the cause. But, um, I also in season, uh, have some electrolyte pills that I'll take and I'll just, I have a bottle positioned at my desk in the transporter. I have bottles in the motorhome, and I'll just keep popping them like they're Tic Tacs. Just, just take them throughout the day, throughout the weekend. As I know with my, my sweat rate, and I'm a very salty sweater, that I, I just, I just got to keep it in. And again, if I'm going to miss it, I need to miss it high because the lower side's just not good for me. What are your favorite electrolyte supplements? Do you have any that you're like, wow, this tastes great. I love it. I love noon as my sugar-free option. Yeah. Uh, I love scratch. I think that they have some wonderful products across the board. And then a guy I grew up racing motocross with started a supplement company and it's called Rhino Power. And I think his protein powder is really, really good. And his electrolytes, um, or those are the pills that I actually use. Rhino Power. I'm always looking for a new protein powder. I'm going to go look that up. Is it uh, plant-based or is it whey? It's not plant-based. It's way and the vanilla is like the most flavorful vanilla you're going to have. My kids actually like it. I just made my daughter a smoothie with it in there. So it's, it's pretty strong. It's great. Do you do a lot of shakes and stuff like that? Occasionally. I'm not in a routine of it. Again, it depends if I'm in a fasting mode, I'll ignore the, the smoothie. If I feel like I need to focus on, on getting carbs in, then I'm probably more open-minded to it. Gotcha. So we had your teammate, Alex Pello on the podcast, and he talked so much about what he's learned from you, but I know he's really embraced the winner, winner, chicken dinner thing. He gets his fried chicken after all of his victories. Did you have a victory meal? My wife and I, yeah, we, uh, it's going to sound really funny, but we would always go to Sonic and just order all the bad stuff in a ice cream of some kind to go with it. But that was kind of our move during my cup career. Like a burger Uh, and a milkshake kind of thing. Yeah. Mondays where we'd head to Sonic 
I didn't grow up with Sonic around in Southern California. She introduced me to it. She was blown away that I had never had Sonic prior to meeting her. And then there's one not far away from the house. And that was our move was to head to Sonic. Do you guys have the perpetual Sonic versus in and out debate since you're a Southern California guy? We have a similar vision of them and their, their rankings. So in and outs of course, number one, and then Sonic is, is after it. <laughs> so you've mentioned ice cream a whole bunch of times. I'm assuming that's your favorite cheat thing. What's your favorite flavor? I haven't found a bad flavor yet. Okay. Uh, they're all good to me. <laughs> I do want to ask you a little bit about Alex because I had such a fun time talking with him and he was talking about how much he's learned from you and all of your experience across racing. What do you learn from the young guys like him? I think it's a two-way street. We're always learning from one another. And I was given advice a long time ago, the day you stop learning or think you know it all in any discipline, but specifically motorsports, it's time to hang it up. And, and that's the truth. I mean, it's very easy to be a veteran and to get into your ways and to not be open-minded. And then you watch a young guy come in that just doesn't know any better. And I think there are many discoveries that come from that. But with Alex, he's such a student of the sport. He's so focused and dedicated. He has such a great individual and great spirit. So hungry to learn. It's really been a pleasure working with him and, and become a teammate and building a friendship that we have. I think people think of racing, be it NASCAR or IndyCar, really as an individual sport because you're in the car out there by yourself. But with Ganassi, with Alex and Scott Dixon, like you've got a lot of guys on that team. How important is the team in racing? Yeah, that's an unfortunate misconception of the sport. Yeah, many, many think that it really is just the driver, but it is absolutely a team sport. You know, there are many dimensions to it. And I, I think when you look at organizations that continue to stay on top and that, that last for decades, it's because of the group and how the group interacts, not just the drivers that drive for that group, but through management, through mechanics and engineers, you know, it's a holistic approach that really works. And I knew from afar that the chips indie operation was special. And within a few visits to the shop and being a part of the team, I could see why. And it's really about all the people that are in that building and their shared passion, dedication, and commitment to the team that, that make it what it is. So you're committed for the full season of IndyCar this year. What did you learn in your first season that you'll be trying to improve upon in your second? Gosh, everywhere. I was surprised <laughs> just how different IndyCar racing is compared to NASCAR. And I also had to learn new tracks just everything. I mean, I literally was the oldest rookie that's ever been in the IndyCar series and I, I was as green as can be. But I feel like my progress through the course of the year uh, has me very excited for more growth in 22. And then adding the ovals to it, I think that'll be a nice step up in performance for me. How do you learn a new track? Do you have to drive it or can you study it ahead of time? How does that work? And pardon it that if, if that's an ignorant question. <laughs> no, it's not at all. I mean, with today's learning, we can use simulators. Uh, there's some great home sim systems that you can use, like iRacing. So it's been helpful, but you know, I've been at this a while. And when I first started, we didn't have any of the sim stuff. And you'd actually go to tracks and drive them. And that's one thing that was really nice in my cup career. We didn't have the restrictions that we do on testing like all, all motorsports does now. And I could actually go to these tracks and spend a couple of days 
And we'd even go a couple of times for a couple of days to tracks and learn them. And something people might not realize is these tracks are all very unique. Even the ones on the ovals that look the same and they call them cookie cutter tracks. They all have nuances that are specific to them. And until you get the reps out there on the track, you just don't learn them. So visually with today's approach, I can understand what gear to be in and where the line roughly is, but to really understand the texture of the track and where the bumps are located, you just got to get out there and do it yourself. Now you're talking about home simulators and, and talking about doing mental exercises in the sauna. Now I'm wondering if you can drive like some sort of heated simulator and get to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised in the formula one space that they have it. I mean, they, there really isn't a spending cap over there and I wouldn't be surprised if that's being used in, in some of the, the big teams, honestly. Somebody, somebody's got to invent that if they haven't. Do you have specific goals for the 2022 season? You know, I, I feel like road or street wise, the top 10 would uh, like a truly earned race my way through top 10 is a goal for me. I feel like the ovals, you know, I bumped that up to probably a top five, if not a podium. I am a racer. So I naively or not think that any race I line up for, I have a shot to win. I think the ovals, there's a higher probability than road and street, but I think realistically, running the top 10 on road to street and uh, top five on the ovals would be a, be a great year for me. Do you even think about how long you'll continue to do this? Or is it just the kind of thing where you're like, if I'm having fun I'm sticking around? Yeah. I mean, I think about it and there's many factors that play into that. I do feel like if I only stopped after one year, there's so much new here. I, I feel like I need three, four, five years to really know what I'm capable of here. I mean, there's just so much to learn and everything is so restricted that you need years to get the time, like, right. Let's really figure out what, what's possible. I know that I have 22. I'm not sure what 23 and beyond looks like, but I can promise you I, I'm having a great time. I know that I'm improving. I know that I haven't hit my peak yet. So I want to do it as long as I can. Cool. Jimmy, can you just tell us what your social media handles are so folks can follow you this season? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward with other than the spelling of J-I-M-M-I-E, but Jimmy <laughs> Johnson, you can find me on all the platforms. People are still giving you J-I-M-M-Y occasionally, huh? Yeah, yeah. And then I've also been called worse, so it's no big deal. Well, I thank you so much for chatting with us today. And I, I wish you good luck with the racing. I wish you good luck with the homeschooling. I wish you good luck with consuming as much ice cream as possible. Just really all the best. And thank you very much. <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Jimmy for joining us on Food of the Gods. To keep up with Jimmy as he heads into his second season in IndyCar, follow him on Instagram and Twitter at, at Jimmy Johnson. That's J-I-M-M-I-E. And check out his website, jimmyjohnson.com. Until next time, for more information on Food of the Gods or to download other episodes, visit us at foodofthegodspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at foodofthegodspod or email us at foodofthegodspodcast at gmail.com. Food of the Gods is a Digitant Podcast production. <laughs>